Turn with me, please, in the Scriptures to Matthew, the seventh chapter. Matthew 7 and verse 1. We've been on a series we have called Mercy Over Judgment. And here are our main texts. Matthew 7 verse 1, Jesus said, Judge not. Why? Why? That or so that you be not, you, you won't be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Is this true? Is it true today? Is it true with us? Is it true with everybody? It is. He said, why behold thou the mote that's in your brother's eye, but consider not the beam that's in your own eye? Or how will you say to your brother, let me pull out the mote out of your eye, and behold, a beam is in your own eye. So he describes immediately judging. He paints a graphic picture of what judging is and how people judge their brother. And uh, as we've touched on before, if you mention judging to someone and say, well, you know, don't judge, usually what is their response? Oh, I'm, I'm, I wasn't judging. <laughs> and if you believe everybody that says they're not judging, you'd wonder why Jesus even said this. Because you'd think, well, there, nobody judges anyway. It's hardly any of this going on. But that's not true. That's not true. Many, many people do not make it through a day without judging somebody. And we have all missed it in these areas. But there are some very serious reasons why we should get this fixed. And we're going to be able to get into it some today. I believe one of the key messages of the whole series, we're here. He said, uh, if you're finding something, a, a fault, a problem in your brother, he's got a speck in his eye. And you are focused on that. And you are trying to Tell him that he, he or she needs to get that speck out of their eye. That is judging. Can you see it in the passage here? He says, don't judge, so you won't be judged. And the very next thing he starts talking about is finding a fault with somebody else. If you don't go fault looking, you won't be fault finding. <laughs> we don't have to... Uh, try to decide whether our brother has any faults in their life. They do. And guess what? So do we. We don't have to try to figure that one out. But the question is, we looked at this last time, the Lord said more than once, who are you that judges another man's servant? Certainly there are issues and faults, shortcomings in your brother's life. And you may see them and notice them. But it is not your place to judge them about that. And we are not qualified to judge one another because of two big things. One, we are guilty of the same things that we're finding fault with them about. Whether you want to admit it or not, the Bible says you are. And secondly, we don't know their heart. We don't know the light. You might see what they have done or haven't done, but that doesn't tell the whole story. You don't know how they got to that place, what they know, what they don't, what they understand, what they don't. That's the heart. That's and only the Lord knows that. Right. So only he's qualified to judge that. Yes. We're not. You might know clearly what they did was wrong, but that's not how God judges Remember the scripture says, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it's sin. Why would you say to him it's sin? Why wouldn't it just be sin? Because it's not the same to everybody. Sin is violation of light. That's what it is. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. 
the scripture says. Just having a list of what's right and what's wrong is not that simple. Because you don't know what a person sees or doesn't see. Understands or doesn't understand. If you walk with the Lord for very long, you know this is true. If you've walked with him and gotten closer to him and grown in the things of God, you came to a realization. Sometimes five years later, sometimes ten years later, that what you were doing was not okay. At the time, you didn't see a problem with it. Because of your lack of light. Because of your low level of commitment. Because of your small understanding of the word of God, of God himself. And other people around you thought it was okay. But you got more full of the word. You grew some. You got closer to him. And he brought it up to you one day. How long are you going to keep doing that? And you thought, oh, I see. Well, when was it sin to you? When you realized it. Come on, can you see this? When, to him that knows to do good. And does it not? Does this have anything to do with what you know? Yes. It does. To him it's sin. And so, just elaborating on why we are not and will not be qualified to judge anybody in this life. Now, he, the, the last part of this, he said, you know, you got a plank in your eye and you're bringing up because your brother's got a speck in his eye. He said, verse 5, you hypocrite. And this is another big truth. In order to judge somebody, you have to be hypocritical. You have to be dishonest. If you're honest with yourself, you won't judge people. Because you'll know that you yourself have missed it. You have come short. If not the same area, very similar area. Spiritually, it's the same. And you won't come down hard on anybody. You'll be kind. You'll be understanding. Because you know, if you'll be honest, you have missed it. So many ways, so many times, so many places. You should be the last one picking up a rock to throw it. Come on, will anybody in here be honest with me this morning? You have missed it a lot. In a lot of ways and a lot of times, you ought to be the last one picking up a rock to throw it and judge at somebody else. Cast out the beam out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to cast out the moat out of your brother's eye. Go with me to 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-one says... For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, now, is 1 Corinthians written to New Testament believers? Are we a part of the same church they're in? Can a Christian be judged? Yes. Yes. How would you prevent getting judged? The, The two big things we've just got through looking at. Number one, don't judge other people. Number two, judge yourself. And doing this, we can prevent ourselves being judged. Is that a big deal? Do we care if we get judged or not? I said, do we care if we get judged? What happens when you get judged? When we're judged, we're chastened of the Lord. That we should not be condemned with the world. Now go with me to James. We're going to get into some more detail. Just, just hold on. James. Chapter. 2. James 2. And 4. He said, if you do these things, judging somebody, are you not partial in yourselves and have become judges of evil thoughts? Verse 8, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. And uh, skip down to verse uh, 12. So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. 
Now, friend, that is what you want to be judged by. The law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy. And mercy rejoices against judgment. Is James written to the church too? New Testament believers. It is. Don't think anything different. The ASV says judgment is without mercy to him that has showed no mercy. Mercy glories against judgment. The Amplified says to him who has shown no mercy the judgment will be merciless. But mercy full of glad confidence exalts victoriously over judgment. If you don't show mercy, you won't receive mercy. If you judge, you will be judged. If you show mercy, even though uh, you deserve judgment, you'll get mercy. And mercy will be victorious over judgment in your life and my life. Hallelujah. Now there's a lot to be learned about judgment. A lot to be learned. Different areas of understanding. We've only touched on a couple. I'm believing the Lord. Are you believing with me? There's a lot of, I, I got pages and pages of notes and other areas of this that we hadn't touched. That I'm, I'm believing to see should we, how should we. But I know one of the main things we got to get a hold of is this. Quit judging. <laughs> There's no need moving on to something else till we get this. And one of the big things, motivators behind this is to understand what happens if you judge. And when you judge, what things, series of events that sets in motion in our life. And most have not seen this. The enemy works very hard to hide this from Christians. Because he wants us judged. So he can get to us. He does not want us to see how to stop his access to us. But too late. Too late. You came to church today. Is that right? You came to church. And the Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices. Go with me, please, to the book of Ephesians. Now, one thing that we need to be very clear on, very established in, is that destruction is never the perfect will of God. Being judged, being destroyed in any degree, is never, somebody say never, never. Ne- I don't care, in any case, in any person's life, being judged, being destroyed, in whatever degree, is never the perfect will of God. Never. And we've touched on this in times past. Uh, there's a series, if you hadn't heard any of these things, I'd recommend to you, the Lord gave us for months, called You Choose. Yeah. And we deal with things, actually misconceptions that church people and other folks have about God is in control. And the idea that everything that happens is somehow God and somehow his plan and his will, that is simply untrue. It is contrary to scriptures. He said, I set before you life, death, blessing, cursing, you choose. If we choose wrongly, how's he responsible for our choice? People want to make God responsible for everything. And it just is not true. The truth is, there's a whole lot of stuff going on on this planet that is contrary to God's will, against his plan. And all this destruction in the lives of human beings was never the perfect will of God, was never the perfect plan. You want to see the perfect will of God? You look in the garden before sin. 
And then you fast forward to the end. You look at the end of the book of Revelation after everything's been restored. That's the perfect will of God. It has not changed. The sin, the rebellion, the disobedience, and the following death and destruction that came in the middle has to do with men and the devil. Not the perfect will of God. Selah. Pause and think about that. God's a good God. His will is good. Uh, you, are you in Ephesians 4? Well, then I'll read something from Second Peter to you. Now stay right there in Ephesians. Stay in Ephesians. Second Peter 3.9 says, He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why do a lot of people perish? They won't repent. But you can't make that the will of God. In Ephesians 4 and 2, 4.2, he says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Putting up with each other, long suffering, forbearing one another. That's not the same as judging, is it? Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Verse 25, wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we're members one of another, and be ye angry, and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, and notice there's not even a period there, that's not even the end of the thought, what's the rest of the thought? Neither give place to the devil. Is there a devil? If you believe the Bible, you have to believe that there is. His names, his key names mean destroyer. He is a destroyer. All of the evil that you see in men are those who are yielding to his influences. And you're seeing his nature and his character. There has never been a more cruel being than him. He gets pleasure in seeing people suffer. He has no compassion for human beings. And he is particularly envious of us. Because we have and we are destined to have what he wanted. We are not just servants we are sons. We don't really know what that means. But heaven thinks this is a very, very big deal. The angels even inquired about us and said, in the book of Psalms, you'll see it's written, what is man that you are mindful of him, that you have done this with him? We have very little understanding of who God is. Many have gotten their understanding of God from religious groups. Yes. And it's just been goofy stuff that men came up with. Amen. <laughs> you want to know what God is really like? Look up in the night sky. The universe. That's him. He is so big. He is so powerful. He is so vast. He has created all of this. Hallelujah. There are whole realms of beings that he has created that are not human. They're not terrestrial. When somebody says, you think there's life out there? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Bible's always talked about it. There are dimensions beyond what you can see and feel in the material. That existed before this material realm exists. But God. Has chosen. You and I. Who have faith in him. And will prove through a lifetime. That he can trust us. And that we hold to him. He's given us a place. Unlike any other. 
among all his creation. The devil hates us for it. He despises us. He wants to destroy everything he can. If it was up to him, he would wipe out the entire human race before the day is out. You can be sure of that. If it was up to the devil, if he had his way, there would be no more men. He would see to it. Well, then why does it go on day after day and year after year that we're still here? Because <laughs> the devil ain't all he's cracked himself up to be. He wants to try to convince you that he's the baddest thing in the universe and he can just come and wipe you out and do anything he wants to. I know some years ago, there was actually a, a, if you want to call it that, a curse in my family on my mother's side. My great-granddad died at age 21 by being shot with a pistol. My granddad died at age 21 by being shot with a pistol. I was the next man on my mama's side. And they used to tell me. I know my grandma one time, she told me, on that she showed me a picture of my granddad in the casket. And said, you look just like him. <laughs> and as I began to get to be, you know, 18, 19, I didn't realize it. But these thoughts had come to me. Isn't that strange? He died 21. His daddy died when he was 21. Yeah, he said, you look just like him. <laughs> and these thoughts would come. You, ain't, you're not gonna, you better live while you can, boy. You better live it up because you don't have much longer to live. You know, 21, that's just a couple of years away. And I didn't, I didn't understand it. I didn't know things about God or the Word of God that we know now. But uh, I thank God when we got, uh, Phyllis and I got married real young. And at about 18 and 19, we got a hold of some word. And I learned we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. And instead of agreeing with all that superstitious stuff, when it had come to my mind, I'd say no. No, with long life, he's going to satisfy me and show me his salvation. And you know, I found out the devil did have it set up for me. I was, I was doing some things with some trucking. And uh, I went to meet this one guy who was bringing in a load of some stuff. And uh, uh, I came and, and was supposed to talk to him. And his truck was there parked. And I tapped on the door. No answer, no answer. I tapped on the door. No answer, no answer. And so I finally left. And I saw him a few days later. I said, man, I came out there. Where were you? He said, man, I've, he said, wow. He said, I had been on the road for like four days. And I was peeled up out of my head. And I thought you were somebody trying to hurt me. And I was on the other side of the door with a 44 Magnum pointed at your head. <laughs> and guess what age I was? No doubt the devil had it set up for me. But yet. <laughs> I'm way past 21. And after that, the enemy kept trying to bug me with that. Even after at 19 and, and 20 and 21, and, and I'm going into the ministry. These thoughts had come to my mind. You're not going to live very long. You're not going to live very long. The devil, you know, bring thoughts to your mind. I'm going to take you out. You're not going to make it much longer. And just try to bug me with that. Not every moment of every day, but just every once in a while. There it come. And finally, one day, thank God, the Holy Spirit inside me. He brought to my mind. He said, why don't you ask him why he hasn't already done it? <laughs> And oh man, I got sassy then. I, I thought, yeah, yeah, bad boy. Why haven't you already done it? You're going to take me out. Why haven't you already done it? Why haven't you? Because you like me. You just thought you'd let me live a while. You know why he hasn't done it? Because he couldn't. He has tried. He has sought means to do it. But the Lord has kept us by his angels and by his Holy Spirit. He's kept us. Oh, somebody say he kept me. Yeah. So how you know he kept me? You here, ain't you? <laughs> I guarantee you. If you're here, 
You made it this far. It wasn't because the enemy didn't want to take you out. The devil has a perfect will for your life. And that is that you die lost. How many are saved? Then you have already missed the perfect will of the devil. You just missed it. <laughs> but if, you, if you're not going to be with him and, and be destroyed and be lost, he has a backup position, an acceptable will of his, and that's that you go to heaven. If you're going to go to heaven, you go to heaven, but you go now. <laughs> right now. Get out of here so that you can't influence anybody else for God. And so he will do whatever he can to take you out. He'll try to set you up at the wrong place, at an intersection, at a wrong time when a drunk driver comes through there. I mean, through whatever thing he can do, it's a setup. A setup. But what we need to understand is what determines who he's able to get to and who he's not able to get to. We need to know this. Don't we? Are there Christians that the enemy is being able to get to? There's no question about that. If it's stealing and killing and destroying, we know it was the devil. And we know it wasn't God. It's not his will. Then any should perish. What does he say right here? Neither give place to the devil. Say it out loud, everybody. Neither give place to the devil. Don't give him any place, any room, any opportunity to move, to act. That means you can. That means you don't have to. How do you give him place? How would you? Look at one of the main ways place is given to him. Just read the scripture. It's right here. It's right here. Back up to verse 26. Be ye what? Angry, but what? Don't sin and let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That's not even the end of the sentence. The rest of the sentence says, neither give place to the devil. How do you give place to the devil? One of the big ways you would do it is through anger and holding on to wrath. What does he say? He didn't say never get angry. Because there are some times you're going to get angry. What did he say if you get angry? Don't sin. Don't act on that and do the wrong thing. And then what else? Don't stay angry all day. Amen. Why should we? Now, 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 most every Christian would go, oh yeah, that's right. It's not good to be angry. And, and yeah, that's right. You need to not let the sun go down. But folks haven't seen what's really going on here. Why did he tell you this? Because if we hold on to the anger, we are giving place to the enemy. We are allowing him room to move, opportunity to access us. And he's just been waiting for an opportunity to get to us. And if he has it, it's not because God gave it to him. Because we gave it to him. And one of the key indicators of judging is actually anger. Judge not that you be not judged. Anger is one of the main indicators that you're judging somebody. You get hot with them. Have you ever noticed when you get all upset and all mad at somebody, you are not thinking about showing them mercy? <laughs> you are not thinking about being kind to them. What are you thinking about? That that's not right. And one of the big things that you got to watch for, and this is a temptation of the enemy, they should pay for that. They should pay for that. If you're mad, you're hurt, you're bitter, you're upset, and you're thinking they should pay for it, you're judging them. No, maybe. You are. And what's the danger? If you don't get a hold of yourself 
and cool off. And I mean stop even being mad by the time the sun goes down the same day. You are exposing yourself for the enemy to get to you. Because he knows if you judge them, you should be judged too. What does that mean? If you're judged, that means the destroyer gets access. Friend, when we realize how this works, we will zip it. Is that right? We will zip it, and not only will we zip it, but we'll get a hold of ourselves and quit being angry and quit being mad and quit thinking they ought to pay. Unless you want to pay. (laughs) Keep reading. If you read just the rest of this passage, he said, be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down on your wrath. That means you got a few hours of grace and mercy to get a hold of yourself. And then you become exposed, giving place to the devil to get to you. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. Let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needs. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Does all this go together? And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption. Now, people have pulled that out of context and tried to say all kinds of things that might grieve the Holy Spirit. Specifically, he's talking about you being angry and bitter and holding a grudge and holding on to your anger. That grieves the Holy Spirit. And speaking against people, that grieves the Holy Spirit. In case we forgot what he's talking about, the very next verse. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. Evil speaking is speaking evil or bad things about people. Let it be put away with, uh, from you with all malice. Is he still talking about not giving place to the devil? Sure he is. And verse 32, do what? Do what? Be kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Why should you forgive them? Number one reason. God forgave you. Right? And if you care about them, you don't want to see them judged. Go to 2 Corinthians, 2nd chapter. 2 Corinthians, 2nd chapter. Verse 11 goes right along with this, but we need to back up and see how we got to this point. Verse 11, he said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. Is he writing to Christians, saints at Corinth, part of the same church we're part of? Can the devil get an advantage over a Christian? Can he get place in a Christian's life? And if he does, what's he going to do? He's going to steal. He's going to kill. He's going to destroy. And none of that is the will of God. How would he get it though? He said, we're not ignorant of his devices. We need to back up and see what he had been talking about. Back up to verse 7. What had happened is some people had gotten off into some sin in the church. And he had written to them in that first letter, 1 Corinthians. And told them to deal with that. And that, they're, that, that if they let that go. It spread through the whole church. And so they did. And they put some people out. But now he tells them. What you have done. Don't go any further. He said verse 7. Contrary wise. You ought to forgive him. The man that had done the wrong thing. Forgive him and comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Skip down to verse 10. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. What's he talking about in this verse? Anybody pick up on a recurring thing? Forgiving. How could you miss it? Forgiving. And what's the very next verse? 
lest Satan should get an advantage of us. How does Satan get an advantage of a Christian? By tempting and getting, if the person used to the temptation, to not forgive, to judge, to be angry, to be bitter, to hold a grudge. It's a setup. It is supernatural how you and I are pulled every day to find fault with somebody and talk about them negatively. You know it's true. You won't go very many hours without somebody will want to talk about somebody to you. And you'll be pulled to jump in. And add your two cents. And shake your head. And tisk, tisk, tisk. That's just, yeah, that's just, that ain't right. Mm-mm-mm. How could they do such a thing? That's being a hypocrite. You know exactly how they could do it. Like you did it. I'd never do that. The Bible said you've done the same thing. Oh, I know, no, no. The Bible says you have. Spiritually, you have. If you knew what to do and didn't do it, that's sin. That's what they did. Same thing. God looks at the heart. Why are we so pulled? I mean, there are times you will literally have to bite your lip to keep from jumping into conversation and talking bad about them or talking against them. Why? You are spiritually There are influences being brought around you to push you to get mad, to get upset, to judge, to hold a grudge. Why? He's trying to set you up. If he can get you to judge them, he can get access to you. He don't care about them. He don't care about you. He just wants to destroy. And he knows he can't as long as you are in the will of God, walking in love, walking in faith. He can't touch you. He can't get to you. So what does he do? He's got to get you to take off the protection. He's got to get you to open the door so he can get to you. And are we dumb enough? I said, are we dumb enough to throw open the doors and say, come hurt me. Come mess up my finances. Come cause me problems. Come attack me. Here you go. Here's access. And having been destroyed, are you going to raise up your head and go, it was worth it. I wanted to be mad at them. I just, it felt good to be mad at them and hold a grudge. What do you think about it? Go to Matthew, the 18th chapter. I see we're not going to cover all this today. Can you come back sometime? I'm excited about this. I believe we can shut the door. We can keep the devil waiting. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. We can keep him waiting, looking, trying to get to us and can't get to us. Even if we start to mess up, we get mad, we want to hold a grudge. We remember, don't let the sun go down on this. <laughs> we repent, we forgive them. Is that, come on, are you with me? And we keep the doors shut. We refuse to judge. No matter how people might try to push us, we say, hey, hey, that's between them and the Lord. They're not my servant. I love them. I just want to see them do good. What do you think about that? I don't. None of my business. Ain't my call. If for no other reason, do it for yourself. To stay safe. To give no place to the enemy. In Matthew 18. Down about verse 15. This passage portrays this about as clear as anywhere in the word that I'm aware of. 18, 15. 
The Lord said, if your brother shall trespass against you, tell everybody what a sorry rascal he is. Huh? Uh-uh. Don't tell other people. Go to him. Have some courage. Have some gumption. It's cowardly to talk about people behind their back. Isn't it? You got something to talk to somebody about? Don't talk to everybody else. Go to them. Did Jesus say go to them? He said go to them. And tell him his fault between you and him alone. You and him alone. You and him alone. See, love does not spread people's mistakes online. Tweeting, texting, emailing. If you do it, you're sowing a seed. It's going to come back. You and him, is Jesus talking, should we respect Jesus' words? You and him alone. And if he will hear you, you have gained your brother. That's it. It's the end of it. Nobody needs to know the rest of it. Is that right? You and them are in good shape again. We've closed the door to the enemy. Come on, can you see that? We have shut this thing down before it ever got out of hand. Now, you don't go to them acting haughtily and holier than thou. You just say, hey, you know, that thing you said and did, that bothered me. It caused me some problems. <laughs> and I hadn't told anybody else about it, but, you know, I, I wanted you and I to talk because I, I wanted just to keep our relationship. And if they're halfway right with the Lord, what are they probably going to say? Man, I didn't want to cause you any problems. That's right. right? And, and just that quick, we can have this thing fixed. Yeah. Yeah. But see, what the enemy wants you to do? Wants you to go talk to this one about it. Go talk to that one about it. Go talk to the. And then, you know how these things work. Then they're going to share it with somebody else, second and third hand. It's going to turn into something it wasn't. Yeah. They're going to add all these details that never happened. It's going to blow into this other thing. Why does it blow into that thing? Because the enemy is working in there. He's influencing their mind. Keep reading. If he won't hear you, take with you one or two more. That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Why won't people do this? It takes courage and you have to care. Amen. Come on. Why? You have to care about them and you have to care about your relationship. Can you see you're trying to save your relationship? Can you see this? Verse 17. And if they won't hear that, somebody's being hard-headed. Tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be to thee as a heathen man and a publican. Things should be solved. When your leaders in the church say stop this and do this, that ought to be the end of it. But most churches, their leaders have no influence in their life. They hire them and fire them every few months or years just to shake things up. And they dare not try to say anything about their life or their business or how they do things. But that's just worldliness in the church. If we got big issues, you ought to be able to bring them to your leadership. And the leadership says, okay, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. That's it. Whether you like it, you don't. No lawsuits. No lawsuits. <laughs> Selah. Keep reading. Got down to verse 21. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So what's the theme through all this? He said seven times. That'd be enough for anybody, right? Seven times. Jesus said, I say to you, not to you till seven times, but until 70 times seven. I'm sure Peter thought, what? You've got to be joking. How much are you going to put up without any one human being? And verse 23, Jesus goes into teaching them. Talking about forgiveness and forgiving somebody many times. He said, therefore, 
He's joining what he just said to this. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants. When he had begun to reckon, one was brought to him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, talent was a, the small measure was 75 pounds of precious metal. They're probably talking about silver in this case. And if you figure up 10,000 75-pound chunks of silver times 16 ounces times what it's going for an ounce these days, you're looking in the neighborhood of $20 million. $20 million. So this guy owed him, it depends on a number of things, but let's just say 10 to $20 million. Be conservative. And verse 25 for as much as he had not to pay. He couldn't pay it. His Lord commanded him to be sold. And his wife. And children. And all that he had. And payment to be made. He owed it. He couldn't pay it. You, you remember talking about Elijah. In, in uh, the book of Kings. That uh, the widow woman sent word to the man of God. Her husband had died. And the creditor had come. And was going to take her boys. Remember that? That's how it worked back then. If you couldn't pay your bills, not only could they come get your house, your donkey, your ox, your land, they could take your kids and your spouse and whoever and sell them as slaves and put the money on the debt. That's how it worked. So he's in a terrible place. So it was commanded. Payment be made. Verse 26. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him and said, Lord, have patience with me. And I will pay you all. Pay him what? $20 million? Could he have done that? It might not have been that he could have done that. Ever. The rest of his life. But if you'll have patience with me. If you'll give me time. Give me an opportunity. I'll, I'll pay it all back. Please don't do this. Don't sell us as slaves. Don't, don't liquidate everything I got. Don't. Please. Verse 27. The Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. This is grace. This is grace and mercy. Now what has happened at this point? Not just that this man doesn't have to get sold into slavery and his family. He no longer owes this. He didn't have to pay a dollar of it back. Out of the great compassion of the Lord, he loosed him. Everybody say he loosed him. He, he loosed him and forgave him the debt. Oh, this is happy cry, glad shout, big dance. It don't get any better than this right here. Because I mean, he's not, Jesus is not just telling a story. He's talking about the reality of us and our debt of sin and the compassion of our Lord and his mercy. This man walks out of there, a free man with a clean slate. He didn't have to pay back a dime of this. Should he be thankful? 28. But... The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. This is a man that's in the same walk of life that he is. Which owed him a hundred pence. And depending on what, how you figure it, this is somewhere, this could be as little as twenty dollars. As much, maybe a maximum of two hundred, but could be as little as twenty bucks. And he laid hands on him. And took him by the throat. He's choking him. And said. Pay me. What you owe. And his fellow servant. Fell down at his feet. And besought him saying. Have patience with me. And I will pay you all. We've heard that somewhere before. That's exactly. What he said. To his Lord. 
But he would not. But women cast him into prison. Till he should pay the debt. He said you owe me. And the man wasn't saying he didn't owe him. Was he? He just said please give me time. Give me time. How many think he'd come a lot more likely paying him back that 20 bucks. Than he would have ever paid back that 20 million. He wouldn't do it. He had the police come. They threw him into prison. He's making license plates. (laughs) Getting a nickel a day or whatever it was back then. You know what I'm talking about? He's forcing him. He's extracting it out of him through labor in prison. There's something wrong with this, saints. Verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. And they came and told their Lord all that was done. And his Lord, after he called him, he called him back to his judgment room, his throne area, whatever it was. And he said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you desired me to. You asked me to. You pled with me. Next verse. Should not you also have had compassion on your fellow servant? Even as I had pity on you. And his Lord was wroth. And delivered him to the tormentors. Till he should pay all it was due to him. His debt is reinstated. Now this is serious business. His debt that he was forgiven of is reinstated and judgment comes on him and he's turned over into the hand of the tormentors. Can you see this, friends? Should we take this very seriously? Verse 35. Jesus said, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you. So we're out of parables and stories now. He's saying as specifically as you can say. He said just like what I've just told you. My heavenly father will do that with you. If you from your hearts. Forgive not everyone. His brother their trespasses. This answers the question. If Jesus has already paid. For all of our sins. And was judged in our place. How could judgment ever come on us? And some people reason about these things and they say, well, no, that's, that can't be. All you got to do is open your eyes and look around. Judgment's happening. Amen. Isn't it? In the lives of Christians. You can't call all this stealing and killing and destroying some kind of blessing. You can, but you're just confusing yourself. It is not a blessing. How can it be? Let me read some scriptures to you. Bible said in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Matthew 6, what we call the Lord's Prayer. You don't have to turn to these. I'm going to read them to you quickly. Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts. Our what? Debts. Sin is compared to debt. As... We forgive our debtors. Have you ever prayed that? Forgive us our debts. Did you hear what you said? Forgive me as I forgive them. What if you don't forgive them? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But. If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Is this true or not? If I'm not forgiven, is that a bad thing? I said, is that a bad thing? If I'm not forgiven, I should be judged. I deserve to be judged if I'm not forgiven. And if I deserve to be judged, that means the destroyer has a right to get access to me. To steal, kill, and destroy, that is judgment. Yeah. 
Mark 11, our beloved Mark 11, 23 and 24. Anybody know it has verses that come right after it? 25 and 26? 24 says, What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Verse 25, and <laughs> when you're standing there praying, believing that you receive them, what do you have to do? Forgive if you have ought. Ought means anything. If you've got anything against anybody, Forgive right then. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Why? That your Father, which also is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Why bring that up? Verse 26. In case you didn't get it. Because if you don't forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Folks have wanted to either ignore this. Or pretend some way it's not for us or doesn't apply to us or, or whatever the case may be. But how else can you explain people whose sins have been forgiven and Jesus was judged in their place and yet somehow judgment happens? Well, this is why. We can actually forfeit our right if we choose to judge others and not forgive them. This man's debt, even though he had been forgiven, had been released and loosed, it was reinstated, wasn't it? It was reinstated on him. It's not right that God has been so gracious to us and forgiven us just because we asked him to. And then we look at somebody else with hatred and hold a grudge and won't forgive them. The only thing that's right, if we demand their payment, if we demand that they pay the price and they be judged, it's only right that we get the same treatment. And we will be judged as we judged. If we won't forgive, we won't be forgiven. These are the words of Jesus. We should take them seriously. I think you feel the same way. I don't want to judge anybody else. Ever again, come on, are you with me? I I don't want the enemy to have any access to my life in any shape, form, or fashion. So it doesn't matter how I feel about them or what they have done or haven't done. I've got to forgive them. And I've got to get over it before the sun goes down. Is that right? I've got to. I've got to. Or elsewise, i got the door open for the enemy to cause me and my family problems. Stand on your feet. Let's pray over this. Let's release faith. Everybody joining us that's part of us. I want us to repent before the Lord for judging anybody. And if some doors have been opened, let's get them closed right now. Right now. Sit out loud, Father God. I acknowledge that your word is right. What you say is true, true. and it's real. And And you said, said, if we won't forgive each other, other, then you don't forgive us. us. May it not be. be. This is as serious as it gets. gets. So we repent before you, you. acknowledging Acknowledging that we have judged others. we We have been angry. Longer than one day, and been bitter, and held grudges, and wanted them to pay. But this is wrong, and we repent. And you have been so kind to us, and forgiven us of a debt we could never repay. And since you've been so kind to us, how dare we? Not be kind to each other. It is hypocrisy. It is ignorance. It is evil. And so we repent. And we say. We are not their judge. We forgive them. Any debt. They owed us. We loose them. They owe us no longer. They don't owe us any recompense. 
any making it right, any payback, any explanation. They don't owe us an apology. They owe me nothing. I forgive it. I loose it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I thank you, Lord, that as I forgive others, you say you forgive me. And I am cleansed. And I am washed. I receive my forgiveness. I receive my cleansing. And judgment will not come on me because I judge myself. And we give no place to the destroyer in our lives. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands. Hallelujah. Let's thank the Lord for mercy, for goodness, for grace, for kindness. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Come on, just praise Him some more. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.